Hey guys, this is Pastor Zach, and you are listening to Sermon Notes here at HPC. Turn with me to the book of Judges. We're going to be in chapter 6. I'm going through the book of Judges with the staff um, in devotion time, and I didn't get to this one this last week, and I think I know why. And I was already wondering, Lord, is this really for the church and not just for the staff? And he kind of answered that question for me. So, We're in the story of Gideon, and if you're here on Tuesday nights, you know that a couple of weeks ago, we talked about Gideon. We talked about uh, the fact that he was uh, not, he wasn't threshing wheat hiding himself. He was threshing wheat hiding the wheat. He was threshing the sustenance, the provision for Israel. And we see the angel of the Lord come along and call him valiant warrior before he ever fought a battle, let alone won it. The angel of the Lord prophesies over him, valiant warrior. And from there, uh, and this is what we really hit on that Tuesday night, we talked about how, and I hope you go back and read this chapter in its entirety, um, but we talked about how the very first thing that Gideon had to do before he was ever going to confront the Midianites, before he was ever going to defeat his enemy and the oppressor of Israel, he had to deal with the idols in his own house. And, and you see it. Nobody talks about that part. Everybody loves Gideon's call and then Gideon's victory. But there's a matter that had to be dealt with, and it was the high places. It was the Baal. It was the Asherah pole. It was the, the, the idols of his father that had to come down. And so he's faithful and obedient, and he goes and does it. And following this, He has this encounter right here. Verse 36, Then Gideon said to God, If you will deliver Israel through me as you have spoken, behold, I'm going to put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only and it is dry on all the ground, then I will know that you will deliver Israel through me. As you have spoken. And it was so. When he arose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece, He drained the dew from the fleece, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, do not let your anger burn against me that I may speak once more, but please let me make a test once more with the fleece. Let it now be dry only on the fleece and let there be dew on all the ground. God did so that night for it was dry only on the fleece and dew was on all the ground. Now, I know you all know this story. And in fact, you've probably heard me talk about it with a little disappointment because I want to be the guy that never needs the fleece. I want to be the guy that when I hear the Lord say it the first time that I'm ready to go instead of putting out test after test after test. However, as I stood with the Lord and in this word over the last week and a half or so, I felt... um, I felt more of a prophetic revelatory significance to this story than just a man who couldn't quite accept the call that God had put on him. And as I dug in a little bit more, the Lord was reminding me of all the crazy things that the prophets of old would do in order to demonstrate God's heart and his nature to his people. If you read through uh, Ezekiel, Daniel, and Isaiah, Jeremiah, they, they were called to make these really wild gestures, these crazy things, because in the crazy thing, there was a prophetic picture being painted for the people of God. 
And uh, they couldn't always hear it. They couldn't always receive it. But the ones who were sensitive were, and they were changed by it. And so as I'm watching this test play out, it's got me thinking and sensing that maybe there's something deeper here. And so I'd like to share with you a little bit of what the Lord put on my heart. So first of all, the fleece represented Gideon. The fleece would have been worn over his shoulders like a mantle. The fleece would have been something that maybe he laid on or wrapped up in at night, but also just simply something that you tie around your waist when it's cold outside. The fleece would have represented who he was. And so when it says that he comes before the Lord and he lays his fleece down, there's an act of submission taking place. While perhaps, yes, riddled with doubt, I hear echoing through the ages, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Maybe a prayer that some of us should get back to because some of us have settled with our doubts. We've settled with our doubts and what we didn't think we knew, we've just started to believe that we don't know instead of agreeing, coming into agreement with the Lord and saying, what I don't yet believe, you want me to grow in my ability to accept it. Hence the walking by faith and not by sight. Amen. So he comes and lays it down as an act of submission. But I want to draw your attention to a detail here. And that is that he didn't just lay it down on the ground. He did not retreat from removing the idols and the pillars in his family's backyard. He didn't retreat back to the wine press. No, it says he laid it down on the threshing floor. Hope you're getting this. And I want to talk for just a minute about the difference between submission and surrender. If you've been in this house for a minute, then you know that if you've taken the heart study uh, or you've walked past the, the signs on the wall in there, you know that surrender is a big deal for us. Not just like a one and done, like I surrendered my life to Jesus. No, it's like this lifestyle. It's like this day in, day out. You can't get away from it. It's like we, we walk in active surrender. And yet, oftentimes you'll hear me and other people use this other word, submission, sort of interchangeably, synonymously almost with surrender. And for most intents and purposes, maybe it works well. Maybe it's fine if you get the heart. But I want to dig a little deeper here and challenge that for just a second. Because you see, there is a difference. To submit does not necessarily inherently mean that there was a willing heart behind what was submitted. Has anybody ever been made to submit? Did anybody ever drive the speed limit when you didn't feel like it? Come on. Come on. Just me and Pastor Tony, thank you for your transparency. Man of God, the Lord can use us to change the world. I just, uh, I, I, I feel like we like the idea of submission because our heart doesn't really have to change. Only our actions do. And, and it, it brings a lot of the people of God into this predicament where we'll come and we'll lay down our fleece. We'll lay it down like this, but we lay it down like, like we're turning in a paper to get a grade. Like we're like, okay, I'm going to submit my life. You tell me what it's worth. <laughs> 
And we love to hear things like valiant warrior when they're spoken over us prophetically. But at the end of the day, we don't want the Lord to touch that. We don't want him to change that. That takes surrender. To submit something, you can submit a paper for a grade. But if you're writing a book, you've got to su surrender a manuscript over to an editor to make changes. You've got to surrender that thing over to a publisher. Otherwise, that book is going to be looking mighty fine on a shelf in your home office. When we want something uh, uh, distributed, when we, want it, when we want it widespread, when we want it to, to uh, influence other people, it has to go through a process of surrender where it can be changed, where it can be edited, where things can be moved around. And so for Gideon's mantle, again, symbolically representing Gideon himself, for in order for him to lay it on the threshing floor, something else had to take place on this journey. And that is that he received the prophetic word, valiant warrior, over his life, and he went in obedience and took down the idols, but he also made his way up to a threshing floor. Now, if you know anything about the old school agricultural art of threshing wheat, then you know that it had to be done in a high place. That was the irony of him threshing wheat in a wine press. A wine press would have been hewn out of stone, specifically designed to hold everything in as you're smashing grapes, like I Love Lucy, remember? And so it's holding in all the, the, the juice and the grapes. But the, what's so crazy is to thresh wheat you literally have to be at some place where that wheat is, is at the mercy of the wind so the chaff can be blown away. So threshing floors were in high places, like the place where David bought off the Jebusite in order, to, uh, in order to build a temple. He bought his threshing floor because that was supposed to be a city on a hill, a temple on a hill. And um, so with that said, I get this sense that the Lord is calling so many of his people, not just by their new name, but to a new place. So that we don't just, because see, some of us, we've made a wine press out of the altar. We've made a wine press out of the altar where we'll come down. We'll come down here. We'll take off the mantle. We'll take off the fleece and we'll lay it out here. And we'll say, use me, Lord. Use me. Use me. Use me. Submission says, use me. Surrender says, change me. We have to be changed. The bride was not born in the full stature of Jesus. She has to be changed. And so I, I sense this call. I sense this call back to this place where we, we leave the private we leave the closet. Some of us, we keep going to the Lord in the, the privacy and in the, the, the confidentiality of our own little intimate place. But I'm here to tell you, to be held accountable for the apostolic thing that's happening here, I have to disclose this information to you. If there is a public call on your life, then with that call comes the initiation to make it to a high place and allow yourself to be threshed out. A place where you can't hide. You can hide in a wine press. You can hide some of y'all. I'm just getting mm, in the crushing, in the breaking. You are making new wine. 
You left your Sierra Jerry's up here. Guys, there's, a, there's this thing that happens in the intimate place, but if, if we really are given over to it, it calls us back to the threshing floor. It calls us back to the place where, hey, if you want to make this thing short-sleeved, Hey, if you want to pull out this and dye that and, and wash this out and stitch that back up, okay. Thresh it out. Thresh it out in the threshing. So submission and surrender. Now, moving on to the next thing, he says, uh, okay, I'm going to lay this thing out on the threshing floor. And if it's really, and this is what I love about Gideon, he's not doubting God, he's doubting himself. He actually says, if indeed your selection has been made on me, if your choice has been me, if it's me that you've called, he's not doubting God's going to deliver Israel. If you pull back up that line, he says, if it's really me, God, I lost my place in the Bible, but it's, it's chapter six, verse something. Yep, something. There it is. Here we go. 37. I will put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there's dew on the fleece only and it's dry on all the ground, I will know that you will deliver Israel through me. Everybody say, through me. Through me. Throughout Scripture, dew is indicative of the blessing of the Lord. It's, uh, it's, it's usually, it's poetically referenced in... Um, uh, regards to the fertility of the land and the prophets bring it in poetically in things like saying like uh, a metaphor for the, the welcome and gentle speech of the father, the dew, the dew. And, and we see it in Song of Solomon. Uh, we see it throughout the prophets. But this, the whole concept of dew is, is this um, sustenance. It's this provision that the Lord is bringing to the land. And if you go way back, I'm always, I'm doing what Jamal does. I'm always going back to the garden. I'm always going back to what, what did God make it look like the first time? And can we use that as a model or a sounding board to bounce off whatever's next? Here's what's interesting. In, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 6, it says that in that time, the Lord watered the plants of the earth, the vegetation of the earth with a mist, or some of your Bibles will say a dew that would rise up from the ground. You know, it's interesting about that, that heaven's provision at that time could come from the earth because it was yet without sin. The world was not yet broken by mistrust, by sin, by greed, by lust. The, the world was not yet broken, and so from it could come life and sustenance. From it could come selection the fingerprint of the Lord. Now, once sin enters the world and we see it come to a culmination at the time of Noah, the days were dark and men were wicked. And Noah builds a boat and gets on it and something new happens. Rain begins to fall. And for the first time, the world would have to know what it meant for sustenance to come from heaven because they were no longer eligible for it to be created from within themselves. 
And so I, I, I'm reading this, and I'm reading going through these places in Scripture where dew is mentioned, and, and you see these things uh, like, like the dew is the gentle welcome speech of the Lord, and it says, and the rain is like his teaching. And I'm convinced, saints, that if we would humble ourselves enough to hear his heart through the dew, through his words, then we wouldn't have to always be so subject to the rebuke and correction of his teaching. We're waiting to be taught to show us everything we're doing wrong. But what if, what if we became so in tune with the Holy Spirit that, that, that we could just receive that voice, that whisper, that still small nudge that said, hey, here's my heart, walk in it. Hey, here's my plan, do your thing. Hey, I'm going to show you something. It's a secret, but can you steward it? And if we could become stewards of those things, I'm convinced that the teaching wouldn't have to be such a spanking. Amen? Good. So do, in this part of the world especially, sustains life. There would be no rain for seasons on end. And so dew would be, it, it would be the proof that God was going to keep things alive, was going to keep things growing. And so people had to be careful with dew. It marked the fact that God had chosen this people, this land, this nation, this family for life. So for, for Gideon to put his fleece on the ground, he's saying, Lord, if you've really chosen me, this guy. Now listen, we're in a time when culture is so humanistic and individualistic that, that we're, we're working against the tide of modernity that says it's all about you, 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 you. Even when you get married, you still have to retain all these personal identifiers of what's important to you and what's special to you. These are all lies, by the way, lies, 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 lies. And so in an effort to swing the pendulum away from that, um, you've heard this church's heart, and we keep beating that this is about the bride. This is about the corporate whole. This is about the body, and we each make up something different. But, but we're without the sum of our parts. We're not really any good, any more so than some dismembered body part. And so we've got we've to lean on each other. We've got to share in one another's burdens and in one another's victories, and we've got we've to complement our strengths and weaknesses to each other's in order to be this bride. But there's also something really important about understanding the individual call that is on you. Because if we don't do that, saints, what ends up happening is we become this person who holds up in reluctance, in doubt, in fear, waiting for someone else to do it. Waiting for someone else to feed me, to teach me, to provide for me. And we have stunted the growth of the body because people are refusing to rise up and say, Lord, if you've chosen me, just prove it, and I'll do it. Show me a sign. And here's Gideon's fleece. And here's Gideon's fleece. A sign that you've chosen me. If you're writing things down, get this. He whom the Lord chooses, the Lord sustains. He whom the Lord chooses, the Lord sustains. Now, it wasn't Gideon that laid himself out there and said, let me be covered with dew. It was his mantle. Symbolic of his calling, of his destiny to lead the people of God out from under the oppression of the Midianites. But as I'm reading this, I'm thinking to, of all the things that I've looked at God and said, you know, 
why are you sustaining this and not that? Lord, why, why, aren't, you, why aren't you providing for? Where's the do on this thing instead of that? And I'll just tell you right now, because there's so many ministers in the room, there's so many people with such incredible and enormous callings on your lives. And, uh, and, you're, and, and I say that because you've just already been obedient enough to walk in it so we can talk about it, okay? If you never left the wine press, then it's still between you and God. But as I've joined you on the journey up to the threshing floor, okay, and I've watched these things start to be uh, blossoming in your lives, the way God's using you and the way he, he wants to, um, I can say this, we are notorious for not being satisfied with the mantle God's given us and always wanting something else. Notorious. And some of y'all, you, you have walked in incredible ministries and, and no matter what you get, there's this always like, but look what they got. But look what they got. When you throw your fleece on the ground, what happens if part of the surrender, what happens if part of the edits is to make it smaller instead of bigger? What happens if the, what happens if, if, you know, the Lord puts it through the wash and the dryer and it comes out, <laughs> fat guy in a little coat. <laughs> Some of y'all, the Lord wants you to take your mantle off just so he can remind you of what size it is. Oh, shoot. Still a small. This is a small, and I'm kind of like, I was telling the first service, I'm like, I, I kind of want like an, like an extra medium, you know? Like a double XM, you know what I'm saying? I kind of, just something to say, I'm growing. Still growing. Anybody ever been like that? Just not satisfied. God, I've been faithful with the small things. When am I going to get the big things? You're not faithful with the small things until you stop asking about the big things. That's how it works. You start treating the small things like they're big things, and you're going to see what big things really look like. Everybody, we get so disappointed. There's only six people in my small group, Pastor, and I just, I'm tired of hearing about this woman's hangnail. I just want to go get a pair of fingernail clippers and cut that sucker off. And, 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 and because we, we, we get resentful, we get bitter. And we're not ministering to people anymore. We're managing them. Because if you were ministering to those six, they might have been seven already. Or eight or 12. Be all right with the size. Be all right with, you know what? We, we're, we're looking around. We're wondering why we're so dry. You're dry because God put dew on your fleece, not on that one. I talk to pastors all the time, and there's like that common theme of, you know, everybody's, everybody for, I mean, it was like years. I moved up here, and everybody's like, you're not in the Bible Belt anymore, Zach. <laughs> I'm like, shut up. <laughs> I know that. You think I know that? I can't find good barbecue anywhere. <laughs> if I want sweet tea, I've got to make it. You know what I'm saying? You've got to head south just to get to the closest Cracker Barrel. The point is this, the point is this, it took a generation of ministers to stop speaking death over New England before they would actually see life. 
it started taking men and women of God who would rise up and say, you know what? There's a fleece here. There is a selection. There is a hand-picked anointing and mantle on what God is doing in this region of the United States. It took a group of people who would say, you know what? I'm not just going to pack up my stuff and move to a red state. You know what? I'm not just going to head somewhere where the climate's warmer and the, the, the spirit's flowing. No. God, if this is the mantle you want over me, and in New England it's extra thick. You know what that means? It soaks up extra dew. And I'm believing with my whole heart that there is extra dew on you. But it brings us to the second question. Because the Bible says that, Israel, that Gideon awoke the next morning and he took his fleece and he wrung it out in a bowl. Wasn't that interesting? Not really. Because in this part of the world where it doesn't rain, you had to be very careful and protective of what the Lord had provided. You had, to, you had to not waste one drop because that might be the difference between your sheep getting water that day or you getting water right then, especially in a time of oppression, especially in a time when they had to thresh wheat in a wine press out of fear. That, Gid that Midian would, uh, Midian and Gideon, I just, they, they rhyme. And so the story, I'm going to mess that up for sure. But in a time when they lived under this constant threat of invasion and being pillaged and, and robbed, so guess what? Dude wakes up, takes that fleece, and wrings it out in a bowl. Now, we don't know what he does with it from there. But I have to think that just the fact that he was careful enough to save it, to preserve it, to not just wring it out on the ground, it begs the question, Zach, where are you wringing out your fleece? Man of God, daughter of God, where are you wringing out your fleece? Because if there is a, a resentment or a rejection of the mantle that God's called you to, you're probably not valuing the proof of that selection. You are probably not valuing the fact that God has already soaked you to the core with what it is that he wants to use to, to provide sustenance in your sphere of influence. Some of you, you know, it's just a matter of Okay, concentric circles, and you want to skip your marriage, and you want to skip your home, and you want to skip your neighbors, and you want to just jump right to the place where you think that what you're soaked with should be wrung out, while all these people closer to you are dying of starvation and drought. Let the Lord call you back to that stewardship, to those priorities of making sure that what he's given you and who he's given you to provide for and help sustain, that you're careful to preserve it for that purpose. And the final thing is, we see the, the, the fleece. Here's Gideon, right, on the floor. Here's Gideon. And it's dry all around, but he's soaked. Here's what's interesting. What I see a lot in the church today is no matter how soaked we are, no matter how much blessing and favor and glory there is on our life, because of our eyes, like my brother talked about, we're looking around 
And what we see are our circumstances. We see the, the, the cultural climate, the political climate, all the unrest and the chaos and the drought and the starvation and the famine that's in the land and the economy and everything else that you can talk bad about. And that is what we project instead of the life source that rests within us. Instead of the fact that we ourselves could be wrung out if we would allow ourselves to be and start to bring life to people around us. Stop grouping yourself in with all this nonsense. Stop, stop identifying yourself with the drought that's going on around you, the dearth that's going on around you. That's not who you are, son of God, daughter of God. That's not who we are, people of God, bride of Jesus. Well, it's still dry over there. It is dry over there, but maybe it's dry over there because you're so focused about over there that you didn't realize there's enough in your life. There's enough dew on you to bring life over there. Why do you think the Lord has allowed in these final days? Part of the prophecy of Jesus is that things are going to go to hell in a handbasket. It's going to get worse. And then we're all sitting around like, oh, it got worse. It got worse. Of course it got worse. Of course it got worse. Because the Lord needed a contrast that was so stark between the church and the world that it was undeniable a world without joy needs to find it from a people who have a joy tied to their salvation. That's what we have to offer. And it's within us. It's soaking you to the core. Got to be wrung out. And last but not least, we see the last thing and he, he comes back. He comes back to the Lord and he says, don't be angry with me. Don't get mad. But let me ask you this one other favor, God, if it really is me, can we do the same thing but the other way? Now, my guess is that that fleece was so wet that Gideon was like, shoot, I shouldn't have asked for this because now i got to put this thing on. It's like, can we do like a quick dry cycle, just like one more time around the block, let it be wet everywhere else, but my fleece, just dry it out. Nobody wants to go into battle with a wet fleece, you know what I'm saying? And so the Lord says, sure. And we do it again. And there's just one quick point. Because I think some of us, we're in this other half of the equation where we're looking at ourselves and we're looking around us. And the fact that today, this morning when you woke up, the fact that there was dew and life and selection and proof and the thumbprints of God and the resonance of his sweet and gentle welcome voice because those things were all around you and you looked at yourself and you felt dry. You made a determination. But I want to challenge you with this fact. It is very much like God to be doing something around you that he's not doing in you. It is very much like God to entrust to your stewardship yesterday's due for today's sustenance. I think that's why Gideon put it in a bowl. Because he would have to drink tomorrow what God did today. And my prayer, saints, is that 
is that the Lord quickens your memory. Because in him, a day is a thousand years, a thousand years is a day. There's no difference between yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and whatever else. That's why he's the same through all those things. Y'all are trying to put like age cream and stuff on to be the same today and tomorrow as I looked like in high school in the glory days. And, and it's like, it's not happening. I can't just make more hair come on the back of my head. And I keep working on that, but the Lord's like, looks the same as it ever did. You came out of the womb with no hair, son, and you're going back the same way. We get caught up in, in, in how he pulls that off. But to him, provision is provision. Mantle is mantle. Anointing is anointing. And if he did something yesterday to sustain you, then don't get caught up today in what hasn't happened yet. Thank you, Jacito. Bless your heart. I appreciate you, brother. I love a good OCD person that just can't look at a sweater on a floor. Man, after my own heart right here. I'm actually glad you did that too because I need this for one, one more illustration. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet. Guys, don't waste time wrestling with how the father is dealing with his other kids. Okay? Don't waste time wrestling with how the father is dealing with his other kids. I've spent a lot of time with the Lord asking... God, why haven't you shut this down yet? Why haven't you burned that to the ground? God, you, do you see what I see? Do you see what I see? Because what I see is, a, you know, I'm, I'm looking at a lot of issues that I think you should just smolder out instead of, instead of seeing what the Lord sees, which if he wants to provide, if, if, if the dew of heaven is going to go rest on somebody, who am I? Who am I to make that judgment call? I get caught up in what's fair. How many of y'all have more than one kid? How many of y'all were, were more than one kid? Okay. So you maybe grew up hearing like words like fair. Maybe in phrases like this, that's not fair. And, and, and we, we our, our understanding of fair is, well, if there's how many, let's see, how many bread croutons are here? Okay. So everybody gets one of these, okay? And then here comes Wilhelmina. That's not fair. Finn got this one, and it's twice the size of mine. We get caught up in this idea of fair, but let me tell you, in heaven, there's no concept of fair. There is justice and there is sovereignty. Justice and sovereignty. And in my eyes and in your eyes, none of that looks fair. The fact that the Lord is sustaining and providing for that one over there and for me over here, I'm feeling dry today. Well, what it likely means is that you're feeling dry because you would rather be wearing some other mantle instead of embracing the one that the Lord already marked with his selection. But that fair thing, it doesn't work in heaven's economy. You know why? Because the Father knows what we need. Yeah. And that's why the one who shows up at noon gets paid the same as the one who showed up at nine gets paid as the same that one showed up at six. Because in the Father's economy, things are just and sovereign. They're not fair. 
And when it comes to us and our own kids, sometimes we can read the room. And if we're really, if we're really operating in the spirit and not in our flesh, we're distributing what there is to distribute based on the individual needs, strengths, weaknesses, personalities. Well, why when he gets in trouble, he gets punished like that. And when I get in trouble, I get punished like this. Stop wrestling with how the father is dealing with his other kids. I guarantee you this. He knows things about them that you do not. Some of you this morning, you were in the wine press. And the Lord showed up and you had an encounter. And you heard him say, valiant warrior. You heard it and you took it and you owned it. And you changed all of your L.L. Bean stuff to be monogrammed VW for valiant warrior. And you went around and now you carve different initials in trees because of who the Lord prophesied over you to be but you're stuck somewhere in the journey between the wine press and the threshing floor. Somewhere in the process, that mantle, instead of being thrown down to be subject to the selection and the threshing of the Lord, instead, you put it on. And you're walking around with it on. And you like it. You like the way it's warm and you like the way it fits. You like being called valiant warrior. But you know what happens? You know what the enemy will do with a fleece that won't be surrendered to the threshing of the Lord? He'll get us so covered in it that we can't see anymore. And pretty soon, a fleece just turns into being fleeced. And the very thing that marked God's selection, his anointing, his calling on your life becomes the thing the enemy uses to cause you and other people to stumble. And we start walking around like this. Look at me, I'm a valiant warrior. Do you see that written on here somewhere? Do you see where it's, see it? They got it in that new font. VW, you know what I'm saying? Valiant warrior. And we start tripping. We start stumbling. We start falling in holes that we were never meant to fall in, but we fall in them because this thing got to our head. And the fleece that should have been laid down before the Lord is now the fleece over our eyes. And so it comes to this point where when we get to this threshing floor, if we're humble enough to say, Lord, if you've really chosen me, if you have really exposed this mantle to me, then I'm going to turn around and expose it back to you, back to your hand. If you're in this room this morning and you say, Zach, I know what he's called me. I've had enough of those moments. I've had enough of those encounters where I was the one in the wine press and the Lord had called and called me something that I wasn't yet and, I, and I've owned it and I've held on to it but I know that there are things that he wants to do there are changes he wants to make there are edits 
that I need to be surrendered to. And that's what's happening right now. If that's you, step out of your seat and meet me down here. Changes that the Lord wants to make in that mantle, in that calling. Yeah, come on down here. It's good. I love this. I love this. These are the raw materials that are needed, okay? This is what it comes down to, saints. He'll expose you to the calling, but will you expose the calling to him? He's entrusting you with the mantle, but you, will you entrust it with him? Take a couple steps forward, group down here. I know there's tables here, but I want to I want to get some people in behind you because this is part of it. Making your way up to the threshing floor, up to that place where the Holy Spirit has access to blow through. See, that's the problem with some of our altars. Like I said, they become wine presses where we'll come and we'll deal with whatever the Lord is crushing in us, whatever he's breaking in us, whatever he's doing in us, as long as nobody else has to know about it, as long as I don't have to risk it going public, as long as people don't have to hear about this on the other end. And the Lord is saying, no, that's part of this. I can deal with what's in you in the wine press, but I have to deal with what's on you at the threshing floor. This isn't a, hey, get all your dirty laundry out and air it out for everybody to see. That's not what this is. It's the fact that there is a public calling. There is a public mandate and anointing on your life. And in order for it to be fruitful and effective, it must be surrendered on the threshing floor. Just before we move into a time of prayer, if there's somebody in here and you're having trouble believing that you were chosen, you're having trouble believing that God really put his name on you, that you're, you're having trouble. You, you hear valiant warrior and you keep like Samuel in the temple. You keep looking around saying, who's he talking to? God, is this not this guy? I feel like there's somebody in here and you're like, it doesn't make sense. If that's you, Step out of your seat too and meet me down here. Having trouble with that. Having trouble believing it. You're hearing it, but you're not believing it. You're hearing it, but you're holding it up to the state of what's going on around you. You keep grouping yourself in with the drought, with the famine, instead of the dew that's on you. All right, I'm going to release Pastor John and the prayer team to move through this crowd. There were some really, really cool prophetic words and pictures that were coming out that were happening in the first service. And I want to just, I don't want y'all to rush away from this because I'm praying that the Lord is going to give something to unlock whatever the next thing is in your life. But in the meantime, for those of you as we pray and worship, if you need to slip out, please do so quietly respectfully while the Lord's dealing with people down here at the altar. But Father, we come to you today. Lord, no longer believing 
the circumstances, no longer identifying ourselves with the famine, with the drought, with the hunger, with the death and the dearth around us. But Lord, coming in, God, we identify with what you've called us, with what you've put on us, with how you've sustained us, with how you've brought life and fruitfulness to us. Lord, we repent of the times when we have belittled those things or mocked those things or have allowed them to be mocked. God, we repent for the places where, where we, we neglected the mantle that you put on our shoulders in the hopes that we could find it somewhere else, that we could find it in something else. God, I pray today that we would come back to this place of where you prove your selection. You prove your choice. You indicate your anointing, your calling, your life, and we just walk in obedience to it. So Lord, we thank you and we trust you, God. We trust you with what needs to be threshed out of us. We trust you, God, with what what needs to be uh, what needs to be private and what needs to be public. And how sometimes the revelation that we so had hoped would just be between you and us is the very thing that that creates and establishes the gifts that you've given us, the ministries that you've called us to, the destiny that lies in front of us, God. So we thank you for that. God, I pray for those who are who are wrestling, Lord, with their own selection and with what God's doing in other people and constantly comparing themselves and looking around and and trying to figure out uh, who got what and what miracle you're doing now and why they got it and why I didn't. God, I pray that we would move past that, that we would mature past that and that we would allow you, God, to do something specific in us, unique in us. Jesus, Jesus, how we love you, Lord. How we love you, Lord. In Jesus' name. This is Pastor Zach, and you've been listening to HPC Sermon Notes. Love you guys. God bless you, and have the best day of your life.